we got to really believe for ourselves that there's power in our stories beyond our race. We have to believe that the most mundane parts of our lives are interesting and worthy and enough. Hello and welcome to the Open Up Podcast. I am Elliot Knight. I'm thrilled that you are here. How are you doing? Thank you for being here. You are doing important work and helping just by listening in to this episode and what our guest has to say and reveal about their industry. And I cannot tell you how happy it makes me that you are joining us either again or for the first time. Thank you for being here and get ready for a healthy blast today of inspiration, motivation, and self-love as we uncover some difficult and tricky issues and topics in this episode. I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Here is the ID of our guest today. Yeah, I identify as Asha, a beautiful black goddess queen who's forging her way through life and just I feel like getting stronger every day. Asha Bromfield is an actor who you might know from the CW's Riverdale and also Netflix's hit show Lock and Key, where she stars as Zadie Wells. She's also a singer and a writer of her debut novel, Hurricane Summer. And as if she wasn't busy enough, she is also a proud ambassador of the Dove Self-Esteem Project. Now, Ash's episode is one of producer Gemma's favorites. She's been very excited for this to come out, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Asha is a proud and beaming light on the issues that we talk about, on self-esteem, on self-love, on believing in yourself and your story. But that's not to say that we keep the issues light in this episode. We actually touch on some pretty heavy subjects. Asha and I dive into our experiences of colorism and our thoughts around that. I even share a story that actually was the inspiration for me starting this podcast of an experience I had at the beginning of my career to do with skin tone and makeup and just things that shouldn't happen. Of course, we talk about hair and natural hair, feeling comfortable in yourself and how that applies to being on set. And all around, Ash's episode is a brilliant dose of positivity and light. It's almost like having a life coach for an hour. She's full of quotes and great wisdom and perspective, and it feels like a really beautiful halfway point of season one, which this episode is. I don't want to talk too much. I really want to let you get into the episode and hear what Asha has to say. It's a really valuable conversation, and I will say some of the topics that we talk about, I really appreciate having these conversations and being able to even let you listen to them because they can be a little touchy sometimes. And of course, we don't claim to have all of the answers, but Asha and I do both believe that an important part of the solution is conversation. And so we're happy to share ours with you today. Thank you so much for being here and to stick around. I hope that you feel great at the end of this episode. I will see you on the other side of it, and I can't wait to hear what you think by the time you reach the end. This is episode five, opening up the TV industry with Asha Brumfield. I, so I've been thinking about chatting with you and cause we're going to get into it and I'm excited Love. because I think you and I get to get into it on some issues that so far on the podcast, I've not got to explore. Oof. I almost feel intimidated just starting at this place, but it's all pretty intimidating. Go for it. Colorism. Yeah. Woof. I've never talked more about this in my life than right now. Wow. It's actually a really... I mean, it's an important topic for a lot of people, but I found it hits home pretty hard with me sometimes uh, because I've not really embraced the impact it has had on me without me realizing. Mm. It's exciting for me to have a conversation with someone who might be on the other side of that experience without assuming anything about you up top, but um, you're darker skin than I am. Um, Mm -hmm. Gorgeous black woman. I heard how you identify as so powerful and amazing and inspiring and and 
the best of what it is to be human. And yet I know, I'm aware that in our industry of, uh, of acting and performing mm -hmm. in Hollywood, how opportunities are given out is different, how people are seen as characters are different, the value that different people are allowed to have based on their skin tone is different, yeah. often from people who, I mean, are white or don't have an understanding of what it's like to not be the norm. So I want to start there because I feel like there's probably a lot to talk about. Yeah. You know, I always think that I, I feel blessed because I feel like I had a very like in the middle experience. My uh, I'm not biracial, but my mom is my mom is black. She's darker skinned, And my dad is like super light skin. And growing up, he like he has like gray eyes, which is like when we're, they would like change color when I was younger. They were like green and then they were gray. And so I always saw the ways in which my dad was treated and the differences like I think I was very like perceptive and aware of colorism at like a at a very young age and it's interesting I've actually had a very in the middle experience because I'm my shade is it's so funny to talk about skin color but my shade is like kind of in the middle like I'm not light skin and I'm not dark skin you know I'm brown skin and I think because of that like you know in the winter I get light in the summer I get dark I've seen both sides and I've seen how people treat me I, you know, growing up, I had, I have cousins who are all d darker skinned than I am. I also have a sister who's lighter skinned and you just see it. I don't know. For me, I was always just so aware and perceptive of colorism. And I remember growing up and being like, I think it's weird that more people aren't talking about this. You know what I mean? Like the different ways in which we're treated. I've been, I've been on the receiving end and I've been on the shit end of the stick. I've had casting directors tell me I'm too light. I've had casting directors tell me I'm too dark. So it's like, it's such a nuanced conversation and I totally get why you know you you feel the way that you do about it because it's just so heavy mm. it really is such a heavy topic heavy. but I do think it's one we need to be talking about more I want to you just said you've been told before by casting directors that you're too light or too dark yeah are mm -hmm. you kidding that's happened like literally Elliot it happened to me like four weeks ago not even maybe three I had an audition and the casting director I got on, it was a Zoom audition. And the first thing he said was like, oh, no, 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 way too light, way too light. Like, they'll, they'll fire me if I cast you. Yeah. And it was the first time I had ever experienced it so direct. And also, it was so odd to me because I'm so used to being on the other end of people telling me that I'm not light enough, right? And so it was really interesting to hear that perspective and not because there's not validity in what he was saying. I think the role was really calling for a darker skinned actress, right. but it was interesting to me to sort of get that feedback and sort of realize, okay, like this is something that needs to be addressed. Like we need to talk about this, you know? And I think a big part of my work, because I was so aware of colorism at a young age, I always felt this deep responsibility to be an advocate and an ally and speak on behalf of my darker skinned cousins who like, you know, if they say anything, the stereotype is like angry black woman or like black women, da, 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 da. And it's like, I don't know. I always just felt like, no, I need to be the person because I'm in the middle. I have this privilege and I can speak and like bring awareness to this. So I remember even just like dating and the things that guys would say to me like, oh, like, you know, you're the darkest I date or just like weird things. And I would always be like, that does not fly here. Like click, like calls down, like you, Good. colorism. Anybody in my family can tell you colorism is a topic that you cannot get away with with me because I, I just don't have time for it because all it does is dehumanize us as people right and it 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 almost like takes away from who we are and our value and what we bring to the table and I just I don't know I think even in when we think about like racism and Black Lives Matter it's so important to make sure that we're also bringing this topic of colorism to the table because it absolutely. goes hand in hand right and it's yeah. so internalized absolutely I think often when people want to try and segregate people by skin tone it's as if they're speaking to a difference that there is because of the color of their skin in the, the person that they are or the abilities that they have or the value that they hold. When yeah. I think the reality is the only thing that's of any importance that's different between different skin tones, lighter or darker, is how people treat you because you have a different skin tone. And that's it. Yeah. And it feels like such a weird thing to me to have people literally treating you as if you are something different only because 
they are trying to have that conversation. That's literally the only thing that is different. Mm -hmm. If you're white, no one's really coming up to you and, and being like, oh, well, you're lighter white. And so you must like this or I'm not really into that kind. It's just. Yeah. Uh, it just feels so dehumanizing and it's so silly. It's so silly. It's so silly. It's silly is what it is. It's silly. It's basic and it's silly and it shows how far we have to go as a human race. And I feel like for me, the biggest, the reason I think colorism became so part of my work, because again, it was always something I was aware of, but I think it became part of my work because being an actress, mm. I, I came into this industry you know, bursting with light and talent and just wanting to shine. I was like, I'm a star. I remember being like 14, 15 and being like, I want to be on TV. Like I want to act. And that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I want inspired girls all over the world. And that was my thing. And then it was like, you know, flash forward 11 years later. And you realize that so much of the society stops you in your tracks and tells you, well, no, you can't be that because you look like this. And I saw that over a decade's work of auditioning and constantly going for things and constantly, you know, not getting things or, you know, even getting things or not getting things. And like the ways in which my humanity and the way that people understood who I was, was almost like put into this box. It's like, because I look the way that I do, I can't really play the like girl next door black girl which is so odd because I've always felt like the girl next door black girl as I said I'm Miss Suburbia right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean but it's like this perception of who I am like it was almost like I was branded immediately as like the sassy black girl the best friend you know the sidekick in the support system but I could never be the girl who was leading something because you know I wasn't light-skinned enough and I don't know it was just like a very odd thing when you feel within yourself that you are talented and that you have something to offer and then to have people kind of box you in I remember feeling so stifled because of that and I was like I need to speak about this more did it feel easy to speak about when you wanted to I think over time I think over time I gained my voice over time it got to a point where I had just gone through so much shit and I literally like I accepted and I'm still working on it but I remember having a moment where I'm like I'm gonna accept that like I'm the underdog I'm going to accept that I have to just like, no one's going to hand it to me. No one's going to put it on a pretty platter and be like, here's your role, Asha, you queen. <laughs> like I have to do it myself. And I was like, maybe my thing could be being myself and speaking and using my voice more. And I think that's the most important thing, especially as creators learning, like when we get to that moment where we're like, oh no, fuck y'all, there's power and what I have to say in my voice, you know? Yeah, I found that recently, which is also a big reason why we're here now talking on this podcast, because I right. realized I, I also have experiences that other people don't know, and it shocks me. The things that came up in my mind that I've gone through in my own career that I have put to the side or just, you know, stripped them of their value in this space and not realized how important they are to share and that other people mm -hmm. have no idea like yeah. one i've told a couple of times is um uh what's the short version i had a i had a stunt double for a year who was white who was painted brown mm. every day to look like me wow mm -hmm. exactly and so mm. i knew this and so i'd let it settle into me as just oh that's that's just a that's just I, they just, I know yeah. well i know it's terrible but i also know yeah, that no one's paying attention the to moment, it like exactly because mm -hmm. it was still my job every day yeah you're just grateful to be there yeah <laughs> Try and not I, to ruffle too many I think feathers. people thought it was appropriate to do that because i'm lighter skinned uh than dark skinned black and mm -hmm. so whoever it was felt like it was appropriate um, every day for eight, nine months to paint someone. Well, technically they didn't paint this person, but they did dirt makeup on him. Mm. So wow. the same makeup that would be put on me to make me look like I've been living on the streets for a bit and seen action and whatever, they put on this white person heavily uh, and because that was their acceptable form of making him the same skin tone as me, was to cover him wow. in dirt. Um, I'm really sorry you had that experience. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying whack, that. And you didn't deserve that. And you know, at the time, I remember talking about it with the people there, or not even knowing what to say, because I was just so confused. Because to me, it seems so obvious that that's really inappropriate. And yet it's happening. And this isn't some budget production where people don't know. This is like a premium level 
uh, TV show which I was mm -hmm. leading. Yeah. Uh, and this is what people deemed appropriate to do. And even though other people felt awkward doing it. But then I also remember uh, on that same job, unfortunately, a very pale white man's hand being painted the color black so that they could use it for an insert uh, of um, a black actor's hand that they forgot to shoot. And again, they thought that was acceptable. Yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. the face I'm pulling constantly all the time, <laughs> mm -hmm. inside mm -hmm. and outside. It's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy, and that's definitely straight yeah. up racism. Um, and colorism goes into that more. But I've realized how much how much opportunity I have seen because my skin isn't dark enough that people are shutting the door in my face, which is yeah. horrible to realize and say. Yeah, it's one thing to be aware of racism and have that conversation. But colorism is also another conversation. And I feel like from what I've experienced, it's a trickier conversation to have within diverse communities because it is so Painful. much more prevalent there than like internal yeah. racism. For example, in the black community, which I, in my identity, am a part of, I have had more heated conversations around colorism with different people in my community than I have around racism because we tend to always be coming from the same perspective and point of view uh, mm. and on the same side of, you know, the receiving end of racism. We're kind of all in it together. With colorism, I feel like things tend to get a little bit more divided, which yeah. is why I think it's such a fascinating conversation that I'm always happy yeah. to have. Absolutely. I mean, colonial colonization, right? Like your lighter skin, you work in the house, your darker skin, you work in the field. And there's oh, there's a quote I wish I knew, but it's literally about like this idea of, you know, you maybe we are not currently enslaved, but it's like these ideas that are passed down in our minds. And it's painful for a lot of people. And not a lot of people are ready to have those conversations. And not everyone has the same experience or the same perspective. You know, I know people who do would swear that there's no such thing as colorism, you know, and I think like, I think it's okay to have different experiences and to be on different ends of it. I think the biggest thing is just the acknowledgement. Like, I think people forget how far just acknowledging the pain of someone else can go. People just want to be seen and heard, right? That's what we all want. And it's like just validating that. I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of cool opportunities to work for, to try and get for myself, which has meant a lot of auditions and in some cases a lot of screen tests, which if you're not familiar, you can think of as like a final round audition before someone gets the job. Uh, it's all the big and, leagues are in that audition, all the network heads and stuff. Yes, mm -hmm. all the network heads, everyone at the studio sees you. There's a lot. It's, you know, people get very excited about it because it, it's a very, uh, it's a time of great opportunity. Most of the time, when I would get scripts when I first came out to LA uh, and I'm in America, whenever something which was rare, was specifically written as black, it would be African-American, which we'll get into. Yeah. Um, and I never really feel like I could fulfill those roles. It just didn't feel right yeah. to me. And I understood the only reason I'm being put up for this, it's nothing to do with who I am. It's nothing mm. to do with what I have to offer. It's nothing to do with my experience. It's nothing to do with my talent. It's actually nothing to do with anything that makes me an actor the only reason I'm being sent this audition is because of the color of my skin, which mm. is meaningless in terms of what I have of value to express from within me. It's all mm -hmm. the same stuff, whatever's on the outside. Um, but I found in screen tests, most of the time I'm auditioning for roles that are not written with a race uh, in mind, which means mm. they're written white in my experience. Mm -hmm. I find that those roles are the most interesting to me because they're often the ones written with the most heart, with the most intention. They have yeah. their own story. They have their own drives and passions. They have a character. And so I would pursue those and I would find I'm often, you know, one of a small handful of people who are a quote unquote ethnic choice mm. for that role which just means not white. Um, but often what I find is when they're open to something that's written as white without a diverse identity specifically in mind, when you get into that room of the final people they're considering, everyone's light-skinned, whatever the mm. race is. And I'm only realizing this <laughs> now talking about it. I've never been in an audition room or a screen test where 
the role has been opened up to all ethnicities, I never find myself in the room with dark-skinned actors, mm, which mm-hmm. sucks. And I think that's an, op- an, an example of where opportunity is denied to people who shouldn't be denied. If you're truly being open to all yeah. ethnicities and races, when you're trying to cast something uh, just not white or not the norm, why is it so often, in my experience, people of darker skin tones never seem to be invited to that party. Mm. And it does mean more opportunity for people who are lighter skinned and look more like me, whether they're mixed race or not. (sighs) Anyway, God, that was more of a vent for me. You can't build upon the pain and suffering of other people, right? And so I think it's so important for us to just like, even as black people, as, as, you know, people of the diaspora, just remember that because I think we put all this like, pressure on ourselves to be at the same places as as our white counterparts and it's like we have to understand that we're working from a deficit that's not to say that it's not going to equal out or level out but just be gentle with ourselves and remember that these are conversations that we need to have it's a part of our purpose to expand the minds of others and to show people that we're human you know to show people that we can do what they do to show people that like it's like i believe honestly elliot that we're teachers we're put here to teach people that like you can open your mind. It's okay. I'm human too. You're human. We're the same thing. Like that is our, our work. And I, and I think when you look at it that way, it becomes more like exciting and you feel driven by it as opposed to burdened by it. And I think now I'm starting to see it that way where I see, I've always seen being black as beautiful. So I have parents who, who (laughs) a dad who was very militant about that growing up. But (laughs) I think now that I'm older, I'm starting to have fun with it more. And it's kind of like a challenge. Like, oh, you don't think I can do this because I look like, let me show you. Don't worry. Give it time. I'm going to show you. And then it becomes fun. (laughs) And then you just laugh at people who think that, you know what I mean? That you can be defined by a skin tone. Yes. It's weird. uh, You're queen. Thank you. (laughs) Listen, I watch a lot of Oprah. I'll say that. Do you have any experiences that like that stick out to you when you think about, I mean, just in general, you, you've you been working for so long in this industry. Yeah. Are there any moments to you that stand out that have like stuck in your mind or affected you on these issues in any way? Yeah, I think I just never fit into to, um, the media's idea of what it means to be a black girl. I've never identified with that. I, I know a lot of black girls who don't as well you know what I mean and it's like I just it just wasn't me it wasn't authentically me I never felt like and again as you said a lot of the times these narratives were coming from white people so at the end of the day the narratives weren't even authentic in and of themselves and I just that's the part that I couldn't relate to you know like we are so much more than what we look like and I feel passionate about revealing that truth to not just white people but black people too that our blackness is beautiful and it deserves to be celebrated but it's a part of the story it's not the whole story it's not I'm black full stop Mm. you know what I mean like as I said we're humans first and I think those are the stories that's where the story needs to begin you know humanizing people showing the nuances of our lives the depth and the richness I cry probably like three to four times a week maybe less lately I've always been an emotional person. I, since I've been a kid, I felt things so deeply and intensely. It felt like my world was ending whenever things didn't go my way. I feel like I go through the depths of emotions and I just am like, you get this piece of paper and you're like, that's not, (laughs) this isn't what my life feels like. This is not what I go through. And I know so many people who feel that way. A lot of black people feel that way. This idea that our stories stop and end at what we look like, I think is something that needs to be just expand it upon because it's just not true. As I said, we don't wake up every single day being like, I was going to say, you know, I've cried so many times this week and none of them were because I was black. Like I, <laughs> I enjoyed that part of my experience and you know what I mean? It's like, we have real rich lives outside of it. And, you know, and not even, I don't want to say, I don't ever want it to seem like I'm saying like that it's not important. Cause I am so proud to identify as I do. And, you know, but it's like, we got to really, believe for ourselves that there's power in our stories yes beyond our race we have to believe that the most mundane parts of our life lives are interesting and worthy and enough and you want to know why because it's a beautiful thing but it's limiting at the same time because that's not it doesn't encompass the full depth of 
of who we are as people and as yes. individuals. Yeah, and that's why it's complex is because it, it is a part of the conversation, but it shouldn't be the only focus. The whole or conversation. The focus mm-hmm. the yeah, it's because it's not the entirety of our value or experience. Yeah. I, I feel like that I tend to ident- not identify more. It's not the right word. I tend to uh, be made aware of my uh, sexual identity more than my racial identity. So whenever I felt a struggle for me, that's the side I felt it on in terms of how people perceive me. Doesn't mean I don't experience it in both, but definitely there I feel more. I, I thought that when you said, you know, you not fitting in with the idea people have of you. And but one of the issues I think that's so important to have these kinds of discussions about the entertainment industry is that entertainment is often, whether we like it or not, for better or worse, the main source of people's education about other identities. Yeah. I live in LA, so it's made of people who are from different places. London is like that too, you know, on these huge mm. cities made of dreamers and people coming from different places with different experiences and you really appreciate the color that life has mm. excuse the pun um <laughs> but for people who don't it feels really important that we saturate the space with more authenticity around race around identity in general more diversity of people's stories and experiences yeah. so we don't just go, oh, yeah, that's the black character. That shouldn't be a thing that we can say yeah. because we need to understand there is no one shape that fits that and does it justice. And also, I think for our own selves, too, like something that I've had to do is fight this narrative of what it means to be a black girl, because what we do, like media, it controls the narrative and it's brainwashing. When you constantly see yourself only represented as one thing, you start to believe that that's all you have to offer. You can only be the sassy girl who says a few lines and does a bit of this. And, you know, like, and I found that was something that I had to battle on my own journey of like realizing, no, 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 this is not, I'm more, I'm more, you know, and I'm human and I deserve to be celebrated and seen and all that stuff. And I think we owe it to our young people to show them that that's why representation is so important. That's why being proud about how you identify is so important because it's like, we're teaching young people what is possible and, helping them redefine how they see themselves, you know? And so I think it's not only doing a disservice because it, you know, when you have limited representation, you're teaching people who don't, let's say have black people or gay people in their neighborhood, what it means to be black and gay. But also at the same time, you're teaching young impressionable kids what it means to be black and gay. And I feel like the best gift that we can give other people is expansion, expand their ideas about what it means to be a certain thing. Mm -hmm. And it all comes back to the same point that I am just like you. And in our souls, we are the same fabric. There's no difference, you know? Exactly. So what are we doing? Ultimately, what is there to be gained from separating everyone and trying to create these different levels and treating people with you know more love and then less love there and you have more value and because I don't understand this then I'm just not going to focus on that don't be afraid of the spaces that are more unknown to you it should be Mm. exciting to explore something new to discover that so much of life that is discovery are the happiest memories that I have and many people that I know when you're able to step into something new that's where the real vibrancy of life is rather than Mm. just coating yourself in everything that is familiar and only that it might be comforting, but it's pretty dull Mm -hmm. and we should surely want to be as a community and as individuals as vibrant as possible. I would hope. Let me ask you a couple quick yes or no questions. And if you want to expand uh, afterwards, then go for it. Okay, yes or no. In terms of acting, do you feel like your industry understands you in your identity? No. Do you feel like your industry represents you in your identity? Sometimes. That's hopeful and encouraging and nicer than what I expected you to say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sometimes. It's not all bad. We've got some great art. 
right now, especially. I like that. Again, like I said, I have no agenda. The point of this is not to say everything is shit uh, because it's not. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think often people feel like acknowledging some things that are positives means that there can be no argument for things that need to be worked on. That's not true at all. Both things are true. Okay, let me ask you. That's the end of the yes or no section. You'd be happy to know. Very extensive segment. In general, working, if you do feel an issue around, let me say, identity representation for your character, Mm -hmm. how easy do you feel it is to address it? Or how welcomed do you feel trying to have that conversation? I speak. And it's not easy. It's never. It sucks every freaking time. (laughs) It sucks. Like, who wants to be the person going? It's it's anxiety ridden. It's, you know, it's it doesn't feel good all the time. But you get stronger and your voice gets stronger and it stops shaking. And you start to realize that that's part of why you're here. Right. Like, so for me now, when I'm in situations before I didn't, So I also want to say that that strength was forged. It's being in countless situations, particularly on set, that have disempowered me, situations that have made me feel poor or less than, and to this day that I still deal with. But I always speak. I always speak. And I I speak because, I don't know, it's just what's right, I feel. You know what I mean? I read this quote one time from Nia Long that stuck with me, and she said, I want to be celebrated, not tolerated when I walk on set. And that's something that I think about all the time. And it's not even, it's beyond set, right? It's, it's any room you walk into, you deserve to be celebrated, not tolerated. Wow. You know? And so I think that's just so important. Like you have, and again, that's what I was saying, like going back to you, you have to believe that you're worth it. You have to know who you are, know why you came here. You know, mm-hmm. I believe this life is ancestral work. I believe that we're all sent here with a purpose and something we're supposed to do. And once you align with that, and for me, it was getting closer to my creator. Some people call it God. Some people call it life. Some people call it the universe. I just started to get still and just start asking, like, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? And it's like, I almost realized that all the hard shit I go through, it's for a reason. There was this thing I was listening to the other day and it was saying like, God says that he's going to put you through all this shit so that when he hands you a mic, you have something to say. And whether you believe in God, whatever you believe in, the universe, let's say for the sake of this conversation, like you're put through these tests, these trials, these tribulations so that you have something to say. We as artists see all the time these people who, you know, are handed things and they have nothing to say. They don't have a purpose for their platform, right? And and I think it's it's hard because we go through so much shit that disempowers us all the time that by the end of it, we're just beat down and jaded. <laughs> but like I had a friend say to me the other day, she called me out because we were talking about something and I might just be going so off topic, but I'm just going to go there. But Please go for it. We were having a conversation and she was like to me, she was talking to me about something I had coming up and I was just like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Like who gives a fuck? Like it might happen. It might not. I'm indifferent to da da. And she was like, well, why are you being like that? And I was like, being like what? Like I am, this is equanimity. Like I'm in the middle. It can happen. If, if it happens, it's great. If it doesn't happen, I'm fine. Like I'm good. And she was like, girl, no. She's like, you are being so low vibrational right now. And the energy that you're putting out into the universe is disempowering. She's like, you are not allowing yourself to have hope because you've been through so much shit that you've allowed this industry to make you feel like you don't deserve to have hope. And that, I swear to God, she's like, you are like, she's like, you're disappointing yourself so that you don't have to feel disappointment if it comes. And to me, oh my God, when I tell you that changed my life, because I really believed what I was saying to her. I was like, no, like equanimity. I'm in the middle. I don't care. Like, damned if I do damned if I don't my life goes on I have other things I was like so in that mindset and I really believed it and I think I needed someone in that moment to just like call me out and be like no 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 no. like you're not allowing yourself to have hope like that and then I thought about like being a kid and that's the shit that drives us we're so hopeful when we're young we're like I want to do this and I did (laughs) that and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna be a star like we have so much hope and we allow ourselves to dream and I feel like you know, the more we go through this industry, it can take that, strip that idea of hope from you. 
And that was something in that moment that I was like, I'm reclaiming this. I'm not going to allow anybody, anybody to take my hope again. No gatekeeper, no production, no industry. No one is going to have the power to take my hope. Because if you don't have hope, what do you have? If I don't have hope, why am I doing this? You know what I mean? And so to me, that was such a shift in my life where I was like, and it's so funny because what I was talking to her about was like an opportunity that had really like hurt me in the past. And I said to myself, no, like even if this opportunity hurts me in the future, I'm going to allow myself to be hopeful about it. And I'm going to allow myself to dream like that little girl dreamed in the dreams that I had then and get back to that playful state and just feel optimistic about something, you know? And so going back to what I was saying just about, you know, having something to say, I think the, the truth is that a big part of our journeys, it's really hard. Like it's not an easy thing, especially to choose to be an artist. But when we realize that it's purposeful, like, and not just like the saying, like everything happens for reason, like, no, like it's literally purposeful and it's happening to you so that you can save the next person and you can make it and go back and be that hand to be like, no, 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 I did it. And look at everything I went through. And I'm so hopeful, you know, and I had hope. I didn't let anybody take my hope or my joy. Like that to me, has been such a shift in my life and something that I constantly come back to because I think it's something that whether it's this industry or anybody listening in other industries, life can strip you of your hope. But it's like hope is really all we have. And you know what's funny? It's touching on Obama, not to get political, but oh! he has his book, <laughs> The Audacity of Hope. And I always thought that's a weird title. That's like an interesting title. Like I never I just thought meh. I never considered the intensity of those words, the audacity of hope. Like you have to have audacity to have hope to go through this life and go through the shit that we go through and still have hope. That takes some fucking audacity. Mm. Like that, it takes a courageous person to be like, y'all beat me down, but guess what? I'm still going to believe I'm still going to hope like that. I don't know. To me, that's just like such a powerful thing. And I think in and of itself strips the other, the people who are trying to disempower you of their power. Do you feel like real quality authentic representation on screen is possible without a shift in that direction behind the camera as well say a writer's room for example or uh producers yeah no i think you need it needs to be i think i said this too during the black lives matter movement and my friend actually said this to me that if your reach to diversify isn't across the board then it's not authentic if it's only in front of the camera, it's performative because that's what people see, right? Your reach to diversify has to be behind the camera. It has to be, as you said, the writer's room, crew, hair and makeup, everything. Every department has to be, it has to be equal. That's all. I agree. <laughs> I completely agree. And I didn't think you'd say anything different, but I just wanted to uh, ask you that because um, the performative aspect is very important to bring up in conversation with people, especially for people who don't see behind the scenes. If you are someone who watches a bunch of TV, uh, you love watching Netflix or the HBO, whatever it might be, wherever it might be, you see only what you mm -hmm. are shown. And it doesn't mean that everything under the surface is bad and corrupt, but it does mean the bits that are, no one's going to be showing those to you. And just because you see, oh, look, there are these three non-white characters or actors on this show how great everything must be wonderful there that doesn't necessarily mean it's the case because mm -hmm. again just what's put on the surface it's like asha said before we sweep things under the rug a lot and that can be a version of doing the same thing unfortunately a lot of people and companies feel very motivated to align themselves with the perception that they are good from the inside out and they have the right approach from the inside out. But all 99% of people are ever going to see is the out. And that's not always a full representation of what is on the inside. Don't judge the quality of an organization or an industry by just what it shows you on the outside necessarily. There's often things bubbling away on the inside, unfortunately. And that that's okay as long as we talk about it. But if it's kept quiet and in the shadows and then no one talks about it, it continues to exist. It's just a fact. We've experienced that for years and it does unfortunately happen all the time.
Yeah, you can't heal what you don't see, right? Like it, it has to be revealed. Yeah, and I feel the same that it revealed a lot to me that I had a lot more to learn about too. I don't want to be here claiming like, because now I'm creating and hosting a podcast, I have all the answers. No, the reason I'm doing this is because I don't. Because I know every time I have a conversation with someone, I learn so much more outside of my mm-hmm. own experience. And part of that is learning that not everything is great. Part of it is learning things in certain places are worse than I even knew. But another part is also, like you said just now, I'm not alone. Other people understand, even in their own way, what I'm going through. And there's so much hope to be found in community. And there's so much strength to be found in community and engaging in these conversations. Absolutely. Hair. As an actor, what is there for you that you feel like needs to be opened up about or you want to open up about in regards to hair? Hmm. I want black women to know that they're beautiful. And for me, that my journey, (laughs) simple as that, right? Like my journey of going into my authentic self and discovering who I was authentically became or started with embracing my natural hair. I think for a lot of black women, it starts there because so much of society is constantly telling you that it's what you have is not beautiful. And it's like, we're indoctrinated, right? Like we're, we're taught that like literally what grows out of our head is not the highest or idealized version of beauty. And you're taught that since you, since we're kids and for me, even though I was never someone, my my weave and embracing myself journey was never like, I don't know, I just never, I never hated my hair. Like I would have always thought that I loved it. Even when I wore a weave, I always thought I love my hair. Like I Especially. wear my natural hair sometimes and then sometimes I throw on a weave. And for me, I had to come to the realization that that actually wasn't the full truth because anytime I got an audition, I would run for my wig. I wouldn't audition with like my natural hair. And it was funny that, I actually decided to go natural after experiencing weave shame. I remember, you know, being on Riverdale and working with Ashley and Haley. Not none of them shamed me. They were all lovely. But I was so inspired by the ways in which they embraced their hair and were just so confident about it. And I remember feeling like insecure that I didn't embrace my natural hair. And I felt this shame, this self-imposed shame. And when I started to go deeper into it and really dive into it, I was like, okay, I want to see like can I do it? Can I go natural? I had so much heat damage in my hair. And I was like, you know, I don't know. I also had a partner that at the time who was really into like natural hair too. And I think that helps as well, because I think a big part of the conversation is how patriarchy does rule the way that we feel like view beauty and having a partner that said to me, no, 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 you're beautiful with your natural hair. I prefer you with your natural hair. I almost needed to hear those messages because it gave me the confidence to really do it. And so I had the support, you know, and my mom's natural, my sister's natural. So I, I went natural. And as, as I said, I was always kind of sometimes natural. But this time I was like, you know what, I'm not going to touch weaves anymore. I'm not going to touch a straightener. And that was what began my journey into myself, you know. And I think that hair is such an important part of embracing yourself. Because I know there's a lot of people that it can be a very like touchy subject. It's not everybody feels the same. And I get it because I have been on the other end of, you know, the <laughs> natural hair community can be very intense. So I just want to preface with saying that, like, I empathize with anybody, you know, who doesn't feel the same way that I do. So I'm only speaking specifically to my journey. However, once I did that and embraced myself and I I challenged myself to not do any of that stuff to my hair especially if I had an audition or if I had an important thing it was awful it was it was ugly I felt ugly I I didn't like how I looked a lot of deep rooted insecurity and pain came up for me there was times where I just felt boyish I was like my hair's so short I didn't feel like sexy and feminine and all of these things that were taught is associated with having, you know, long hair. And I think for me, as awful as that period was, it was so deeply beautiful. And I needed to go through that. Because what it taught me was that this is something so beyond hair, it it taught me that 
it's about loving yourself through the ugliest parts of who you are. And not that, not care, but like the actual emotional ugliness of my journey, right? And I think that I went to all those places within myself of like feeling despair, feeling sad, feeling not good enough, feeling ugly, feeling like I wasn't going to book all that stuff. I went through it to learn that like, it's okay to feel that way. And when you feel that way, you're still worthy. It's like I held my own hand. Like I was a friend. Like, yeah, you feel this way, but we're going to get through it. It doesn't matter. We're still going to be natural today and we're going to keep going. And when I got to the other end of that journey, that's when I was like, okay, now I can switch it up. You know, I put in my, my braids, which I love so much. Um, and I'll experiment more with my hair now, but now it's just because I, I don't feel any type of like less than or more than in terms of my beauty. I feel beautiful all the time, whether I'm wearing my natural hair or, you know, extensions. So that's where my journey towards my own authentic understanding began. And so I, and I think for a lot of black women, it begins there because of the toxic messages that were fed from kids. I remember being five and like putting on turtlenecks and taking it off halfway so I could have the shoulders dangle down. I mean, my cousin, we would play games that way. And I would love to put on my pink turtleneck because it reminded me of my friend Brittany from school who had long blonde hair. And that's when I felt beautiful, you know, and it's like so many of us are coming from that place where we're, we're taught whether, and it's funny because my parents were so adamant that like, I'm beautiful. My dad was like, don't you ever touch a straightener, but it didn't matter because the images that I was being fed on television were completely different than that. The images I saw at school, the girls that the boys liked, like that type of thing. So yeah, I just, for me, that's what I have to say about hair. I encourage people who haven't yet embraced their natural hair to at least try and know that it's not this like euphoric, beautiful journey that people try to feed to you. It's not, it's ugly. It's painful. You're going to feel triggered and, and it's going to hurt because there's a lot of pain there, but it's necessary to go through it and to move through it. And once you come out on the other end, you just, I don't know, you just feel like none of that shit matters. You just feel beautiful no matter what. (laughs) Oh, wow. That was a delight to listen to. Thank you. Yeah, right. I went through mm-hmm. a, a whole thing too. And yes, some people would say like, even as a guy, but yeah, yeah. even as a guy, mm-hmm. I remember in school and growing up, um, you know, everyone who's attractive or cute or heroic or just put in any positive light was typically white um, and or had like straight hair. Mm-hmm. And in the nineties, everyone had like bangs and guns. When I was a kid, when I was like a young kid, I used to go around I didn't have this hair, but I used to tuck my hair. I used to yeah, this. yeah, I tuck right. my hair <laughs> behind my ear as if it was there because that's what I'd see like guys on. I would watch Power Rangers and people have bangs and really? say by the bell, whatever it is. And I'm just like, yeah, I'd le- <laughs> legit. I would walk around being like, uh huh, yeah, uh huh. Because <laughs> oh, in my God, mind, okay. that was something that was like uh, an accessory to aspire to have and yeah. to be. And it made me attractive. And then growing up, I uh, I texturized my hair and tried to get it straightened. And mm-hmm. I looked awful. But I remember I went to a salon and I was like, can you straighten my hair? And they, I mean, didn't do it right. But mm-hmm. also it shouldn't be happening. And they're like trying to straighten out this tightly curled fro hair and give me this Lego fringe. And my hair's like two feet off of my skull mm-hmm. and just like an orb around it. But to me, I was like, oh, I'm hot now. Yeah. Because that if you show me (laughs) yeah because everything i see that's under the label of hot is that thing Mm -hmm. and it was something that i didn't feel like i had access to naturally and i think that's what a lot of people can struggle with is feeling like they do not possess naturally beautiful attributes in something like their hair type yeah and um officially from asher myself that's bullshit Mm -hmm. the beauty is inside of you and Mm -hmm. so whatever it is that you have naturally is beautiful as well as whatever you decide to do with what you have naturally that is beautiful too as long as it comes from and is connected to you and who you are absolutely i fully agree with that we're we're just talking about this as as people and as actors but applying this to also working in the industry that's a whole basket of i don't even know what We have one more question for Asha after this wonderful chat to finish us off, which is about her brand new book, Hurricane Summer. She's a first-time author, and there is a specific reason that she wanted to tell the story with the specific character that she did. 
Why did you want to write that book? And also congratulations <gasps> on writing a book Thanks, and, doing that and doing so well with it. Well, Elliot, going back to what I said about the hard shit in life, you know, I wasn't booking. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wasn't booking. I wasn't working and I was doing everything I could to book a gosh darn role. And it always felt like I got so close, but so far. And I felt like I was crying on the floor like every other week. Like I had this deep level of like devastation every time it didn't work out. And I prayed and I was like, why? And I, I was tortured. I just felt awful. I didn't understand why it wasn't working. And I would go out and I'd be positive and I'd go to LA and I'd go to Vancouver and I'd go do the auditions and it, it wouldn't work. And one day I was like, okay, maybe I just have to write something myself. And I remember seeing the IP of like book to movies being a really hot trend. Like this is literally like the truth of how a book came about. And there was an author named Tomi Adiemi who came out. I remember the news came out. It was like 24 year old author signs, like some crazy deal, like seven figure deal with, with like Fox 2000. And I remember seeing it and you know, like we all have those moments where it's like a light goes off in us. I remember seeing that and I'm like, I can do that. I want to do that too. I want to do what she's doing. That's so cool. I was so inspired by her and it, it just lit something in me. And, and that's, you know, going back to everything full circle, we are, our responsibilities to be the example for other people. Cause if Tommy didn't write that book, I don't know if I would have written mine. When I first wrote my book, I actually wrote it as a screenplay and I was like, I'm going to try to pitch this as a screenplay. And again, it was birthed out of this frustration of not working and wanting to see more authentic representations of what my life looked like and what things that I went through. And when I saw Tommy, I, I reached out to her and I was like, oh my God, congratulations. This is huge. I like, tell me more. I just wanted to like know who she was and how she did that. And it was her encouragement of like, no, you can do it too. You should write a book. Like, I, yeah, it kind of all just came together in that way. And, and the rest was history. I, I realized that it, it's my responsibility. And also I thought smart about it. I'm like, okay, I could write this as a script, but then maybe it, it might be harder to sell. Maybe if I write it as a book, I'd always wanted to write a book. I'd always wanted to be an author. That was always something that I felt I would do at a young age. Like I always, when I was 12, I was like writing my first book at the time <laughs> called The Truth About Megan Riley. Oh. <laughs> it was like this white girl on the front with like blonde hair and freckles. And it was like <laughs> the truth about her life. I was writing her life at 12, but never went anywhere. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was just inspired. I, I saw someone be an example for me and I wanted to be the example for other people. I wanted to be the example for myself. And yeah, it's like everything happens for a reason because I was so frustrated. I think if I wasn't at that place of like, I've literally tried everything. Why is nothing working out? I don't know if I would have really taken the time and the discipline to sit down and write something like a book, you know? So that that's that's my process. Wow, that's <laughs> Pain, amazing. Pain, okay. <laughs> Pain and struggle. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, it is what I feel like you are the essence of, especially just talking to you for this and what people have heard is appreciating a difficulty or hardship and using it as a tool to create something positive. Mm. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And that's more than just doing something for vanity's sake or because it seems cool. That's the essence of true purposeful creation. Yeah. Not just doing something so it can just take up space, but seeing a void and helping to fill it, seeing a crack in the wall and deciding to, to make an effort to help repair it. Mm. That sounds like what your process was as you've just described it. Yeah, and I think just also believing that you're chosen to do it. Like we get so hung up on the hard parts of our life. I listened to this podcast recently on Oprah and it was her and uh, Devon Franklin, the, the pastor, and they were talking about like, uh, Devon was saying, cause you know, he's in the film industry. He's like, you know, think of your life as a movie. And imagine that God, the universe, life, whatever, the force, the thing speaking to us is the director. He's like, the reason why so many people are so unhappy is because it's like getting, it's like getting a, um, it's like getting a script and not knowing the vision for the movie. So if this universe has a vision for our movies and the way that our life goes, he's like so many movies, like they tank, not because they're not good, but because the director and the actors aren't on the same page or the director and whoever's mm. managing the set can't get on the same 
page about the vision of the movie. So you can be in the hardest parts of your life and you're thinking, God, what the, why, why, why? Yeah. I don't agree. This should not be happening. Da, da, da. And God's like, no, like this is not the end of the movie. Like we're in the middle. This is like the meat and potatoes. When you go through the hard stuff, get to the other side, you know? And I think it's about getting on the same page as the mission statement for your life. Like think about it, ask, what is the mission statement for my life? What is the scene objective <laughs> the character goal the hero's mm -hmm. journey and the truth mm -hmm. is that we find you'll find if you start asking that it never ends at the hardest parts you know the hardest parts are there but that's what makes a good movie you know what i mean there's yeah. always there's more there's an end and i think just getting on the same page and that's when we become co-creators we co-create with the universe we co-create with god we co-create our lives and we understand and can get on the, that same statement for what the movie is supposed to be about what is it that needs to change? What do we need to do? What needs to be focused on to move forward and make the right kind of progress? As a society, I think we need to truly begin to see ourselves in each other. And then when I think about personal journeys, I just think about resilience. Like I think, and I speak from experience again, like probably last week when I thought my life was over, when I didn't get a role, like just believing that it's not the end, like that, just keep being resilient, keep going. My partner always says to me, keep going, keep going. And sometimes I'm like, that's it. That's all the advice you have. He's like, yeah, keep going, keep going. It's not over. It's not over till it's over. And what would you say, what would you say to the entertainment industry if that was anything different? Just listen and try to see people and understand that we all bleed the same. We all cry the same. We all hurt the same. We all know what it's like to be around friends and family and feel deep joy, like what it means to have things that are meaningful to us, a pet that you love. We have similarities. So I think just starting from that place and from there, I think that's when the real work begins and we can start to humanize each other when we know that like there's no difference between us besides from, you know, exterior and internalized ideas, but we're the same thing. And you have reached the end of another Open Up conversation with the radiant Asher Bromfield. I think if there is one takeaway from this whole conversation, it's to believe in yourself and the power that you have and the power and validity of your own story. And when it comes to entertainment, to not support or endorse a system that does not allow for the fullness and the wholeness of who you are and what your journey has entailed. We have to be able to see each other as valid, real, equal people. If we're not doing that in entertainment, for the world to absorb in that same way, there's an issue. It might be a perfect standard to achieve, and we might not be able to really get it exactly right, but it should always, always, always be our compass pointing north. And we should always make the best effort that we can to follow it. Do not paint people's skin to make them look a different race. That feels simple enough. It feels like we should get it. And I really hope it's still not happening. I know it's happened more recently than I would like to know. But here's the deal. Whatever the skin tone might be, However light or dark someone's skin is, I'm just going to flat out say it is not appropriate. It's insensitive. It's lazy. And you just shouldn't do it. And if you see it happening, not only don't endorse it, please stop it. Because that's someone's dignity and integrity and identity on the line. And if enough people have allowed it to get to the point where that's happening, enough people don't understand why it shouldn't be. You can be the actor of change that stops things like that happening. And a big thank you from all of us if you ever are in the unfortunate position to get to do that. We appreciate it. Thank you so much to Asha Bromfield. If you want to follow Asha, she is on the gram at Asha Brom. And we are also on the gram at The Open Up Pod. Or you can email us at hello at theopenuppodcast.com. Both Asha and I and producer Gemma would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed episodes before, please reach out. It's so nice to hear from our listeners. And also, we love our Open Up team of diverse artists 
who work on different beautiful aspects of this show to bring it to you each week. Our artwork is by Alec Liu, our theme music is from Adsum, and our additional music, like this outro you're listening to right now, is by Jay Apple. I'm Elliot Knight, your host, mixer, and editor. And of course, thank you to the wonderful producer Gemma at Studio Hendrix for making the Open Up podcast possible. You can help the podcast spread the word by opening up about what you heard. And if you want to keep the show alive, please hit those stars at number five. And do not forget to leave a wonderful review because we would really love to hear from you. Thank you for being here. We're getting those stars up and up and up. And we really appreciate it. It helps other people find these important conversations being shared with you. And we really want to help make a difference and a change. So thank you for helping us do that. We're going to be with you next week with another episode. It's going to be a great one. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you then for another Open Up. You know, remember who you are, Simba. Just remember who you are. Like, period. How you know? dare you? Come, Come on. on this show and well, reference King. Disney and Lion King. Rude. <laughs>